What would it look like to claim your space as a leader and make a positive impact in your organization or community? Get ready to lead courageously and authentically from the core of who you are. Your leadership coach, Dr. Kristen Albert, will help you recognize how you are uniquely gifted to lead in your spheres of influence and help you become equipped and confident to handle the challenges of leadership. Take your leadership to the next level and create your turning points in leadership. Let's get started. Here's Chris. Hello and welcome to this Turning Points in Leadership. My name is Dr. Chris Albert, and uh, I'm so glad that you're here today. Uh, this first season uh, of Turning Points in Leadership features six episodes of interviews where I feature leaders who I admire for their work in their spheres of influence. And so the, the individuals that I interview are changing the image of a leader having to be someone at the top of the food chain or holding a title of privilege to be able to make a difference. And instead, uh, my guests are leading change in bold and inspiring ways. And I want you, my audience, to be inspired by them and to consider how you can become a catalyst for change in your spheres of influence. And so today I wanna to welcome my guest, Megan Hooper. Megan is a daughter, sister, wife, dog mom, and Penn Stater who knows her calling is in the field of public education. She's a proud professional educator with 16 years of experience in roles ranging from high school science teacher to instructional coach, and Megan approaches her work with passion and intention. I love that word, intention. She's always looking for ways to listen, to advocate, and to design meaningful learning experiences for her students and for her colleagues. Um, she's committed to learning, and I love this. She's committed to unlearning in order to serve others and make a positive impact in the world. Megan and I have worked together on a variety of initiatives, and one that has been closest to my heart in our work is to eradicate racism in our society. And Megan, I am thrilled that you're here today. Thanks so much for being your being my guest for this interview. Well, thanks so much for having me, Chris. I'm really flattered to be considered among your bold and inspiring leaders. That's a lot to live up to, so I appreciate that. Um, and I just really appreciate the work that you do and the friendship that we have and um, the fact that you push me in a variety of ways to um, act intentionally um, and to move toward a better world. So thank you. Thank you so much for that affirmation too. So how, what's been exciting in your, in your world in these past few mm -hmm. weeks? What's new with you? Um, it's August now, so being a career educator, uh, that means the switch has flipped, and I'm like in back-to-school anticipation excitement mode, um, still trying to make the most of these last couple weeks opportunities to see family and friends. Um, my 20-year high school reunion is this weekend, so mm. that's happening, and I'm feeling some kind of way about the number, but I'm excited for the opportunity to reconnect with some people that I haven't seen in a really, really long time. So back to school and heading back to Altoona for a couple of days too. So that's, that's where we're at. That's, that's awesome. You know, it's funny, you mentioned your 20th reunion and, and I guess this year would have been my, would be my 42nd year out of school. 
and I it's so interesting. I have found it so interesting. Have you been at at uh, reunions before this one at this point? We did a 10 year and then this is our second one. Your second one. So I just think it's so fascinating to watch kind of how people evolve um, from those first years out of school till now yeah. 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be fun. That's exciting. Well, hey, shall we jump in with some of the questions? I'm ready. Okay. Sure. So I'm really curious to know about one of your your earliest memories of leading or of leadership. And this could be a memory you've had of yourself as a leader, or it might even be an early observation um, you had of other leaders in your early life. What might you share with regard to that? I think I can do one of each. I think I can do one of my leadership stories and then an observation of someone else who was really influential in my, my early life. So I went to D.S. Keith Junior High School, go Rams, which was seventh through ninth grade. And when I got to seventh grade and joined the marching band, I decided that it looked really cool to be the drum major. So my goal was that my freshman year, I would try out for the drum major. So I tried out, I made it. Awesome. Um, that's not the story. Um, at our school, our practice field was a couple blocks up the street. So after school, we would all grab our instruments, walk up the street, have our snacks, change our shoes, kind of hang out. The band director would stay behind because he needed to make sure that everybody's instruments were picked up. And then he would transport some of like the sousaphones up to the field. And then when he would get there, he'd get on his bullhorn and give us like a five minute warning and let us know to line up and we would start practice. So there was one day in the fall of my freshman year that Mr. Yon was like noticeably very late getting to the field. Huh. And so I said to my assistant drum major, I was like, why don't we just go around and sort of tell everybody to start lining up so that whenever he gets here, we're like ready to go. So we just kind of went around and did that and said, hey guys, like we're gonna line up soon, whatever. And so by the time Mr. Yon got to the field, like the band was lined up. And he was just like, how did this happen? <laughs> And we were like, well, we just went around and we told everybody like you were running late. So we needed to get lined up. And he was just like, I don't think you understand that that's like remarkable. Now that I have worked in a middle school, I absolutely understand that peers telling other peers and having them actually listen um, was a bigger deal. But I don't remember exactly how Mr. Yon processed that with us, but it was something, something to the effect of they didn't line up because you're the drum majors because there are other people who have had the title of drum major and no one would have listened to them to get in line. They lined up because they respect you. They understand your leadership is by example, and you're not asking them to do anything that you wouldn't be willing to do yourself. So honestly, that was kind of like the last time I ever pursued a title. And I, I never really thought much about the fact that I I just sort of realized that that was about relationships and mutual respect and not about authority or titles. Um, and then when I got to high school, 
I was like, I would love to be the principal of this school. I think we could do so much with school spirit. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Penn State. I'm going to become a teacher and a principal, and I'm going to help change the culture of our school. Um, but my senior year, uh, a teacher named Coach Palfi, he came to the high school, and I watched him completely transform the culture of the school by walking down the hall, knowing every kid's name, giving high fives and saying woo. And he did all the things that I thought that, that I would need to be the principal to be able to do to change the culture of our school. I watched him do that as a teacher. And I think that just reaffirmed for me that if my passion is to be in a classroom with students, I can do a lot in that space, kind of in a lead from where you are kind of mentality. And I, I know that that fits right in with, you know, the, the philosophy that you have is what can I do right where I am in my sphere of influence. And so, um, you know, kind of those pillars of respect and relationships and being able to take a lead, no matter what your title is, have kind of, I think, been the story of my life since. Those are awesome, amazing stories. Oh my gosh. And you know, as a former music educator, just even you love it. That you first, love it. The first one. And just a little known fact, the difference in general generations. I wanted to be the drum major back when I was in school, but only boys were allowed to be the drum major. And so a few years after I passed through those doors, it changed. But yeah, how you know, just the the passage of time, but what uh I can, as I think about as a teacher, what that would have been like to come, to be running late and to come to this space and to have my drum major influence, not because she had the title of drum major, but because of the relationships that she had created and the credibility that she had created, that, that she would be able to bring those students together in that way, boy that that says a lot about who you were as a leader at that at that young age well, and, and michael and I, like we just didn't really think of anything of it like oh. of course we would get everyone lined up and they would we would do that together like it was i i don't know it just was one of those things too where it's like yeah well what other way would we have done this oh. so it's just interesting the perspective there but very interesting you know i'm curious um i'm curious about I mean, it sounds like that was kind of in you, right? You were already, you weren't thinking about, okay, I'm a high school student and and I'm going to influence my peers and da da da. And I'm, so you came to it somewhere, I'm guessing inherently, but also I'm wondering in what way maybe your family, your cultural influences, or your community, how did that shape the way you view leadership or emerged into leadership? I think for that, I mean, I'd have to start with my parents, right? Like they're the leaders that I've looked to my entire life. Um, both of them were educators and my, they were both active in church also. So my mom was the organist. I know that's something else that we share. And yeah. my dad volunteered to teach Sunday school. And so I think as I reflect on it now, to me, that meant you serve a community, you take initiative, you do things that need to be done. 
Um, but so much of what they did at church, and of course they had two children, my brother and I were coming up through our church. So by establishing children's choirs and getting youth playing music during the service and for my dad, like he, he wanted the students in his Sunday school class to be able to do the readings um, during the service and be the greeters. Um, I think that really sent an early message to my brother and me too, that there's not some kind of like age at which you can be in a position to lead. Um, and then I think, I think another piece is a community piece. Um, my dad worked in Altoona, so I went to school with him. Um, and I saw him in his role also merge school and our community. So he was our public relations director. He established our alumni association and foundation. That meant that he was out and about in a lot of community groups, but um, it all kind of merged together in his role. And I really think that that sense of school and community for all of us is connected to Penn State. My parents were both Penn Staters. Um, their first date was at a Penn State football game. Like I can't help the way I am. Um, as I learned about cultural identity markers and really reflected on what's most pronounced in me, Penn State really, I know that's weird. I know, I know that depending on how people feel about Penn State, it's like, y'all are really annoying with your we are's and your white outs and stuff. But um, that idea that this, the community of State College and the educational institution are so intertwined. And when you're a Penn Stater, there is a pride and there is a, a network. And there is this sense that you should make an impact in your community and that you should be proud to be part of something bigger than yourself. I know that that's carried over to my work and it really was coming to Lancaster County and making friends out this way and having some colleagues start to say like, you feel differently about school than other people do and you have this sense of spirit. And they're like, I really think that comes from Penn State. And I was like, you know what? Like, again, one of those things where my entire family are Penn Staters. I, we, it's, it's in our blood, like it's just how we are. But um, I really think that that set of that mindset and those values really permeate a lot of what we do too. So, and I see that as a, a culture, cultural influence more so than, you know, any kind of race or ethnicity or anything like that. That is so interesting because as somebody who was not a Penn Stater, <laughs> I've often like, wondered about this this kool-aid that y'all are drinking i understand you know yeah, yeah. and it just doesn't it just has never made quite made sense to me i mean i get it i get that you know i get the pride that comes from you know being affiliated with something greater than yourselves but i always yeah i always wondered about it it's never i guess i've never experienced something that is it that big, that, that all encompassing, that, that belonging, I guess that's a belonging thing, right? It's a being part of something that's much bigger than yourself. Um, and I've never experienced that in that way. So I've kind of always kind of been one of those, yeah, Penn State, whatever, you know? <laughs> well, and, and I know that's not everyone's Penn State experience, too. But okay. I think there's also this layer in my family. And again, like, I'm not saying this is 
a good thing, but so many of my family memories, like I grew up Saturdays in the fall tailgating with my entire like parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, like it's, it's so intertwined for me with family. Mm. And then my closest friends, we all went to Penn State together. So it's really, it just becomes this web that just, I guess, like the, it's really, really woven together. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it is, it is a unique, um, unique experience, I would say. Unique cultural experience. Definitely. Wow. Well, thanks for that. Um, I'm curious, as you look around the people with whom you work or with you, whom you live or interact with, who you're surrounded by, what would you want them, what would you want to invite them to think about or explore when it comes to leadership from your perspective? I think for the people I'm surrounded by at work and also my my family and friends, I, I think the first thing is gratitude because um, they encourage me and support me um, in so many ways, but I feel so empowered to take on challenges because they're my support system. They're my people that I can go to and say, hey, you know, I encountered this situation. Is there something I'm not seeing? Like, help me unpack this. Um, Knowing that they're taking action in their spheres of influence makes me um, more inclined to do that because I'm like, well, if Kelly's doing that work, then I need to to be, I need to step up here or um, having people inside of my, my organization with shared experiences to be able to be like, how might we approach this in our school, in our classrooms, in our, our community, our district, but also having people who have no idea what's going on in my organization to be a completely neutral party, a processing mm-hmm. partner. Um, they don't know any, any um, they can't put piece together based on roles or anything like that, like who I might be um, working with or, or encountering things with. So I think having, I guess that that would lead to one thing, like if you don't have your people um, in your work and outside of your work, then try to find some because that's been something that in terms of learning and processing has just been so valuable to me. Um, and I really have seen that grow through the pandemic. Um, I, I guess it made us all kind of pause, reevaluate and make space for some different kinds of conversations. And so I really, really appreciate that. Um, And then I think when I think about educators in particular, um, and a lot of my friends are are educators anyway, but um, I had a mentor who always said, where you sit is where you stand. And so I think Mm -hmm. as as we come upon things that we care about, whether they be students, student issues, things with our curriculum, things with our school environments and um, the, the systems that we are all used to with learning and grading and all those kinds of things. Um, if we don't start to make it known how we feel about those things, um, at some point we, we can't keep being silent because not stepping up, not saying something, not asking questions also sends a message 
about where you maybe stand, or it's easier for someone to assume that you feel a certain way. Um, within that, everybody needs to feel comfortable taking the lead in their own ways. It's not vocally for some people. Um, and so really kind of taking the time to reflect and think about what do you care about and what's what's one thing that you can do? You don't need to do everything. I think we can get really paralyzed too by feeling like, oh, there's just so much. Like this is such a big, complex machine. Um, but if everybody does something, um, that moves us forward. So I think knowing who your people are and thinking about how you might take a step, an action step, um, still being super intentional and thoughtful with that, but realizing that if you don't tell your story, other people get to make up what your story is and, and really trying to get more people thinking about stepping up, asking questions and trying to work for change. Mm. I love that challenge, um, that you're, you know, that invitation to, um, to really consider what, where your passions are and what's important to you and what you value and, and having the, the courage, right. To step in, um, and to, and to have influence. One of the things that you said at the very beginning, as you started to answer that question was knowing your people. And I wonder how much of that knowing your people, huh, how do you know your people are the good ones to be, uh, you know, gravitating to? You know, I think there's a challenge knowing because I do, you know, I I I know folks that that they're holding holding on so tightly to who their people are that they're not um, that that it becomes almost an exclusionary practice or a protecting or a controlling sort of practice and it's and it's leading to more division and harm than than good so i'm just wondering how you would react to that know your people and also consider how how might you take that that is, that is such a good point and i'm i appreciate the opportunity to clarify um obviously i would love to know what my colleagues think about me and how i interact at school um, when I say my people and the people that I go to, um, that to me is not, it is so much deeper than the surface level lunch group or, you know, hanging out after work. Like it's, it's mm -hmm. not that it's people with shared values, shared commitment that over time, and I, I've been in my district now for um, eight years. Um, so it's over time seeing who they are as educators, seeing who they are, um, when I trust them with something that it doesn't, that it doesn't go anywhere. Um, and it, it doesn't mean that we all hang out during work or after work. It's more being able to go and have a difficult conversation, being able to go and ask for difficult feedback and knowing that they would do the same for me that I would do for them. At the same time, I actually wonder if 
if anyone really even knows who's in my inner circle. I think they could guess the people I work most closely with, but I think that there would be some people that they don't even realize I've, I've networked myself really, really deeply with. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, I hope that all of my colleagues feel like I am someone who loves and affirms and supports them equally. Like as an instructional coach, I'm there to support all educators. And so that, that also means that I am friendly and in conversation, right? Like certainly, um, I don't think we can do anything important without conversation and collaboration and honest communication. So, um, being able to do those kinds of things with everybody, get to build relationships, respectful relationships with everybody, but not everyone gets trusted with, you know, if something difficult happened and I'm now in tears, there's a smaller group of people that I run to in that, in that situation. Right. Yeah. Um, I think the relationship piece is, is so important and the challenge being willing to challenge the process, being willing to have those conversations that are difficult, right? I think that's when we get together with our people, sometimes it's easy to ignore and, and overlook the hard conversations. We, the, the tendency to not challenge ourselves to think differently because we all think alike. Um, and starting but, to recognize uh, am I going to this person for validation? Cause I want to hear we're like-minded and I want to hear, I absolutely do that. Right. It makes I me feel that. good. But also being willing to take in information from a lot of other sources and, and honor that that's not how I see this situation, but that's real for that person. That's that experience for them. Um, I, at any, if anyone has gotten to this point and hasn't watched Ted Lasso, I very, very strongly recommend if you're a leader, I really think it's important that you've, you've seen Ted Lasso, but um, when he says, be curious, not judgmental, that mm. also has been something that has really changed my interactions with colleagues because it makes me more inclined to ask questions than to get defensive, you know, oh, I just planned this professional learning and someone wrote mean things in the exit ticket. Well, you know what? Like they have a point there. Like this really didn't apply to their role and I need to think differently next time. So you're right. Like we can also get into echo chambers and there's entirely too much of that in our world and our work. So how do we also make sure that we're taking in information, not just from our closest friends? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate that. One of the, I think one of the challenges is when you do see something differently, to be to be able to respectfully, to respectfully disagree, to have the courage, to not necessarily go along with. I had somebody send me an email the other day, and at the end they said, "Capiche? Like, understand? You get it?" What with the expectation that I was going to go along with that. And I said, I capiche, but know that what this means is uh, I don't necessarily agree with this piece. So, so don't look to me to stand and justify through your eyes that justification because I see it this way. And 
just so you know, and planning ahead, maybe we need to have more of a conversation around that because I get where you're going and I understand where that comes from. But I also think there's a piece of this that you're not seeing. And I'd like to invite a conversation around that. So just having the, when somebody wants to, my mom used to do that all the time, right, Chris? She'd always say, right, you know, and just want me to, just to agree. Well, people do that a lot, you know, the, the, the echo chamber, right? Don't you agree? You agree with me? Well, sometimes we don't, sometimes we see it differently. And I think having that, that courage to speak truth into that, um, into how we see things differently is also a big, a big invitation. Um, so thank you for, for talking through that. Cause I think we've hit a lot of nuances there that, mm-hmm. um, that are important to consider. So each month in the Turning Points Leadership Community, we explore a theme around leadership. This past month, it was about mastery and and focusing on the concept of mastery, how we're all in our own journeys and everybody starts their journey as a beginner. Now I'm gonna throw you a curveball because this month we are actually talking about kind of this eco cycle of change and how change can be difficult but necessary. And there are things that we need to let go of so that other things can grow in their place. It's almost like the cycles of nature Um, and recognizing that, you know, the change brings with it emotions, change Mm -hmm. brings with it some deep, um, some deeply held beliefs. So when you think, so I'm, here's the curveball because last month was mastery and I forgot to change the question on my, on the materials that I sent to you ahead of time. So I'm throwing you a curveball here. When you think about this eco cycle and this, this thought around change and transition and the challenges of that, um, what comes to your mind when you, when you think about leadership through that, through that lens? I think, I think it's all connected. Um, you know, you mentioned in my intro about learning and unlearning, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up, like there's fear with that. There's this discomfort with that. And same with change. Um, you think, you know, and then you realize what you don't know. Um, with learning, we sometimes realize I have been doing things wrong or maybe not with the right perspective or, you know, I I thought this was the the way to to do this. And now I realize that this is not the way to, um, I think of like school discipline and and things like that. If I had to look at or how, how school was when, when I was growing up, it was about memorize this information. And now we're trying to move toward, well, we we can Google anything. So um, how do we make sure that we're creative thinkers and we're problem solving? And what do we do with the information that we can find on Google? Um, So I think it comes, both change and learning come with a sense of humility, being willing to admit that you don't know everything, being more interested in um, learning than knowing, being more interested in getting it right than being right, and 
being more invested in really taking the right action. Um, and sometimes that is admitting like, hey, I, I didn't, I'm, I apologize. I didn't, I wasn't doing this um, the way I should have been and, and a change is needed. I agree with what you said about, you know, the uncomfortable emotions come with that. And we in America, in our culture, we're not great at sitting with uncomfortable emotions. True. And so with learning and with change, we can really get into shame and defensiveness and all of those kinds of things. And that's real. Um, and so I think as I've done some of my own reading and learning and processing, it's also knowing what your emotions are telling you and being okay with the messages that they're communicating and not going into fight, flight, or freeze mode. Um, because sometimes too, I think we get to be part of change. We get to come into realizing a change is our choice. And sometimes changes are bestowed upon us, you know, whether that's yes. schedule changes or, you know, any other kind of change. And so um, we've, we've been living in a, a period of huge change, um, not just because of public health, but because of racism, because of, you know, gender, sexuality conversations, all of those things, human rights, civil rights, um, and all of that is really uncomfortable. But I think until we can all start being honest with each other and with ourselves, we can't get anywhere. We can't have those really, really vulnerable conversations. So I think being, being willing to admit that there are things you don't know, being willing to listen and learn and really sitting in the listening and the learning and the emotions before immediately jumping to action so that our actions can be thoughtful and not just a band-aid. Like we need to stop with all the band-aids and we need to really try to get to the core of some of the things that we, we have to, we have to figure out as a, as a society, as a world, um, as an education system and as individuals. So I'm not sure if I actually answered your yeah, question. Absolutely. Absolutely. You did, you know, emotions, you know, we all have emotions and emotions come from our reaction to whatever's happening at that moment. But as human beings, we also have the ability to step back and reflect on the emotion and use the emotions as a domain of learning. So becoming less reactive, which reactive leadership is actually has been shown to be negatively correlated to leadership effectiveness and organizational effectiveness. So and then that's what the research says. So, so taking the time to pay attention to the emotion that, that comes along with that change and using it as a domain of learning. Why am I, you know, where is this reaction coming from? Where is this emotion coming from? Um, how am I seeing it, things that are informing my emotional reaction? Just, you know, it's so important. And I think we have to, just like you said, we have to teach children to do this as educators, you know, as they're learning, we have to, it's not just, you can't Google, what do I do in this situation? Because every situation is different. You can't, there's not a textbook answer. We have to be able to um, respond in, in nuanced ways to um, 
So you kind of deal with the human side of it. And what does that, what does that mean? Um, yeah. So thank I've you. Been, thank you. As I've that. been doing a lot of learning about emotions and the brain, um, Elena Aguilar does a lot of writing and coaching about emotions and cultivating resilience and things like that. And one of the things um, in one of her books that I hadn't considered also was our idea of how we should respond to emotions is also shaped by the dominant culture. So if the dominant culture is um, white and male, then we need to also consider that even how we unpack our own emotions, feeling like we shouldn't feel them, like um, some of those things as we really look at, it's so much more complex, even than doing the hard thing, which is just paying attention to our emotions. It's also then how we respond in some, in a lot of ways has been learned and taught and all of those kinds of things too. So again, like the more, you know, the more you realize you weren't even thinking about, and it can get really overwhelming. And that's why too, it's just, it's a journey and we have to be willing to just take it one day at a time, one step at a time. Thank you for that. Um, be sure, could you make sure that you send me some, uh, a link to Elena's work mm -hmm. because I'd like to put that in the show notes for anybody that is interested in following sure. up on any of her work. I'm not familiar with Elena Aguilar. Aguilar. Yeah. Aguilar. Yes. Yeah. So, she has a, an instructional coaching um, consulting network. So um, really, really awesome. You'll, you'll love her stuff. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Please, please uh, make sure that I get that link so we can include that in the show notes. That's terrific. And I know we'll have a lot of educators listening to this episode. Mm -hmm. So it'd be great to turn them on to somebody that's got some real wisdom to share in that way. So coming up toward the end, what is one value or guiding principle that informs your work that you would say is infused in everything you believe or how you approach your work as a leader? For me, my biggest core value is integrity. Um, again, I know that comes from my parents and from, from what they taught me. I will say that I used to define integrity as um, doing the right thing, even when no one's looking, um, doing the same thing in public that you would do in private. And I think that still applies. But in mm -hmm. the last couple of years, I've really embraced the Brene Brown definition, which is choosing courage over comfort choosing what is right over what is fast, fun, or easy, and choosing to practice your values and not just profess them. And I think for me, that reminds me that integrity is a choice and all of those things are so action-oriented. Um, yes. And it's also a good, I can kind of break that apart and ask myself, am I choosing courage or am I choosing comfort right now? <laughs> is this, does this feel fast, fun, or easy? Because maybe then that's not the, the right thing. Um, and are we practicing our values or are we just posting them on social media or putting a poster on the wall and those kinds of things? So I, for me, I know it's integrity, but I think that definition is something that I just have really tried to recite for myself as kind of like a personal mantra because it helps me. It's, it makes me um, really force myself to like put my money where my mouth is, I would say. <laughs> That's beautiful. And I love how you broke that, not only defined it, but then also brought, broke it down to questions for yourself, ways that you could, things that you could actually ask yourself to determine, am I acting 
within my these definitions of integrity um am i choosing something that's fast over something that's you know the easy answer over something that's um that requires more uh conversation that requires more reflection um, i love that you ask yourself those questions and you've given yourself some really concrete ways to be intentional which that's fabulous yeah. so i I always end these um, interviews with wanting to know what is your favorite leadership quote and why? Well, I already gave you my Ted Lasso, but um, I've seen this attributed to Teddy Roosevelt. Um, mm. People don't care what you know until they know what you care that you care. Mm. And I mm. think, you know, that applies to when you're working with students in a classroom. Um, it's not about how smart you are as a teacher. It's about, do you love your students. Um, and then even in my role as an instructional coach, it doesn't matter how many instructional strategies or anything else that I have. If people don't feel safe with me, if people don't feel like I care about them and their students, then it doesn't matter. Um, that's also a personal challenge for me because I'm someone who is very agenda driven. Time is valuable. I don't want to waste anybody's time. I want to, you know, um, but reminding myself to build those relationships, not jump right to the agenda, make sure people are okay. And again, have seen that on full display the last two years, two plus years, supporting educators through the pandemic. Um, you know, take time to be a human mm -hmm. and to build a true relationship and get to know people um, because that's how you keep conversations going. That's how you keep connections going. And that's how you make deeper connections, um, to unlock all those other opportunities to learn. Oh, you just nailed it, Megan. You, uh, this whole idea of task and relationship, both are, in fact, the research shows that the task is important, but also the relationship is as important. There, there are um, conditions under each that are the top two indicators of leadership effectiveness. You've got to have the task, and you've got to have the relationship, and it's and it both are important. You can't have one or the other and not have both. You've got to have both of them. So, yeah, great quote. Um, thank you so much for being part of this conversation today. Yeah, I learned so much you. from you. And you know, it's just since the time that we've been working together, just through the racial justice work and, and your work with the youth um, at our church, I have always looked to you as such a, I looked at you as such a strong leader. And I'm when I asked you to be on this, you, you were kind of questioning, well, am I, am I, yeah, yeah, yes, you are a leader. And I think that's the point of all this, that in our spheres of influence, we are all, we all have the potential to be leaders. We are capable of leading and we are all responsible for leading in our spheres of influence. And you've just shown up and, and shown that um, in so many really thoughtful ways. And I'm so appreciative of you taking the time to be part of this conversation today. Thank you so much. Thanks for helping me unpack some of that as well. Mm -hmm. And and just even go deeper than, than I was originally thinking. So thank oh, you so much, Chris. Wonderful. Thank you. So again, thank you for being here, Megan. Thank you for being part of this conversation. And we'll see you all on the next episode of Turning Points in Leadership. Thanks and have a great day.
Thanks for tuning in today. Be sure to take a moment to like, share, and comment on today's episode. If you're not already a member of the Turning Points Leadership Community, you can accelerate your development as a leader by joining today. You'll find the link to the community in the show notes. If you'd like to be a guest on Chris's show, send an email to turningpointsguest at liveworksatisfied.com. See you next time for more Turning Points in Leadership.